Welcome. If I don't know you, my name is David, and I have the great privilege of being the lead pastor here at Redeemer. So glad to have you guys in worship today. Uh, we are going to finish up a series we've been doing called Anxious for Nothing that uh, we've been in for the last three weeks. This is week four. It is the last week of it, and, uh, and I hope it's been helpful. I think you're going to hear a great message. We'll talk about more about that in a second, but I wanted to let you guys know what is coming next which is uh, an Advent series. Advent, as Mary said, marks the beginning of like the time where we look towards Christmas, where we ready our hearts and minds for Jesus to come. And, uh, and it starts the first week of December. And so we're going to kick off a new series called Simple Christmas. Simple Christmas. Does that sound good to anybody? <laughs> Especially as we're leading up to it. Uh, what is this about? It's, uh, you know, have you ever had that experience where you uh, do all these things for Christmas and get a lot of gifts and give a lot of gifts and you're pretty full with stuff, but at the end of it, you feel a little bit more empty than you did to begin with? Yeah, that is what we're after here. We want to speak to that experience, why it happens, and then even more importantly, like how, how focusing on the, the central things at Christmas that really make the holiday what it is, will really make it uh, a rich, beautiful, wonderful experience that we all really want that is, guess what? Simple. And, uh, and so that's going to start next week. I think, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I think it'll be really good. And, uh, and I wanted to invite you guys to do one thing. Uh, Christmas is also a time where people's are really, their hearts are here um, uh, to, to, to come to to make a new relationship, uh, to, to meet a new friend. And, uh, and so what we, we did is we printed out some of these. What are they? Not odd pieces of paper. They are door hangers. These are things that uh, we would invite you actually to take. And in your neighborhood, if you've got some neighbors that you know would really benefit from hearing some good news about Jesus this, this uh, December, invite them. Put it on their door. That's where this goes. If you are uh, anxious about it, go in the middle of the night when nobody is around you, okay? Uh, uh, this, is, this is a really non-threatening, wonderful way to invite somebody. And there's a table in the back, and when you open those doors, grab a stack of them, and then go night door hanging, okay? All right. Uh, I want to invite James up here, and let me introduce our preacher for today. Uh, he is not going to want me to call him a preacher, but... Uh, He's going to bring us the word. Uh, many of you guys know James. Uh, many of you do not, though, because it's been uh, actually about a year. Uh, not a year, but he, it's been a year, really, since James has been in this pulpit. He was a big part of this pulpit uh, when Redeemer started, and he's had some stuff go on the last year that's really that started about now. Uh, and uh, and I, I'm just really thankful that he's back up here, and he's going to share, and really some things, as you guys will see, uh, God kind of teed this one up just for his experience. He can uniquely speak to this, and really thankful for him. And uh, yeah, let's do a man hug, man. Good to see you. And I'll, I'll turn it over. Yes, no, no. That is awkward, dude. Still. Uh, no. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Thanks, Practice. There we go. Well, good morning. How are y'all doing this morning? You awake? Okay, well, as David said, I, I don't like to call myself a preacher because I'm not one. Um, I do like to call this a conversation, and so along with that, 
I, um, I'm going to ask questions, and they're not rhetorical, right? I'm gonna, I might even call on you, especially if I see you falling asleep. That's how I keep people from falling asleep whenever I get up here, right? So, all right. Uh, and as David said, it, it has been a while since I've been up here. I was up here on Memorial Day just twice this year because I've been in a long road of healing myself from the very thing we're going to talk about today. So first, let's say a prayer and get into this. Heavenly Father, um, as you know, I'm anxious coming into this message today, Lord, and thank you for easing my heart over the last two services. Lord, uh, I just ask that this message reach out to people who are suffering from anxiety and those who know someone who's suffering from anxiety today, Lord, and lift their spirits and give them a path out. Lord, and most of all, um, for all of my brokenness and, and all of the James McHenry that's involved in this message, just move him out of the way, please, and just make me a vessel for your word to these people today. In your name we pray. Amen. Right on time. <laughs> all right, so... Um, we are on the tail end of a series on anxiety, and so uh, we've been going through Philippians chapter 4, and so we're going to go ahead and read verses 4 through 8. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and pull those out and turn to Philippians chapter 4, 4 through 8. All right. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things right okay so by a show of hands who is or has ever been involved in the scouts of america okay that includes brownies any brownies in here one two three okay all right there was a bunch of brownies last time all right and so i learned a valuable lesson a couple weeks ago um, eric stagner invited me to come and speak to one of the troops here at the church and so i walked in and I went to talk to these kids, and I was going to relate to them. I said, I was a Boy Scout, and then I kind of looked around, and there were girls in the room, and I was like, uh-oh. And I said, Boy Scout, Girl Scout, and this little girl in the corner who's going to go very far in life, she looked at me very sternly and goes, it's just Scouts. And I was like, yes, ma'am. Scouts of America, got it. So I was set straight. I was not with the program, okay? So at any rate, so those of you who've been involved in Scouts, um, how many um, have heard of Camp Karankawa here in Missouri County? All right. How many of you have been there? Keep them up. Okay. Now, this is a long shot. Now, I know in this service there's at least one or two who this is going to ring true for. Um, who was a scout in the late 80s or early 90s at Camp Karankawa? Okay. We got one. And, yep, there he is. Jimbo, I know you're in here somewhere. All right. So, you guys, do you all remember the legend... Well, let me, let me, hold on. I don't want to give it away too early. Let me give you some backstory. Back then, I don't know how y'all remember it, but the way I remember it is the troops would show up and, and they probably have like air conditioning buildings now, but back then it was just, you set up a tent and you built a fire and the different troops would set up camps in different areas, right? Throughout the woods. And so the challenge was, is that uh, the scouts would, as Boy Scouts, we were kind of adventurous. And so we would going to travel from one campsite to the other in the middle of the dark by ourselves with no flashlight, right? That was the challenge, okay? You gotta make it, make it to the other campsite. And so 
our scout leaders probably weren't too keen on us doing this, all right? And so they loved us enough to tell us that out in the woods, there were some things lurking that were responsible for the disappearance of hundreds of scouts before us and that we needed to be aware of, right? And that was the legend of Red Eye, ring a bell? No, or Old Man Bailey. Does that ring a bell? Okay, I'm becoming very suspect of my scout leaders. All right. So Red Eye was a seven and a half foot tall Karanko Indian who had his right, right eye gouged out by a bear and his left eye glowed perfectly red, about seven and a half feet, about that high, off the ground, right? And he was ticked off that the Scouts of America had come in and pushed him and his people off of their land, taking over Camp Karanko as their own, and so he was there to exact vengeance upon us. So if he found you out in the woods at night, you will never be seen or heard from again, right? Also, he might have been part wolf. So, you know. so if you saw that red eye about seven and a half feet off the ground moving slowly through the darkness, then you knew it was red eye and it was time to bail out, right? Old Man Bailey, have you all heard of Bailey's Prairie in southern Missouri County? Yes? Okay. Is, is there anybody in the Bailey family here? <laughs> okay, good. I don't see any hands. All right. So Old Man Bailey uh, said that upon his death, he would be buried standing up with his rifle and his lantern at his side, and that when he died, if his dog was not already deceased, it would be shot and buried with him. However, the Scouts of America found out his evil plot, saved the dog from an untimely death, and denied him his eternal man's best friend, right? So now he walks the woods at night looking for scouts who took his dog, but he doesn't discriminate. Any scouts will do, and he will make you disappear forever. So if you see a lantern swinging lowly along the path in the dark, you know it's old man Bailey, and it's time to bail out, right? So we had great scout leaders, didn't we? Yeah. Tell you what. And parents. Thanks, Dad. Uh, so if you were out in the woods as, as a scout, and that's what, you know, it, if somebody asked me, what is anxiety to you, right? And, and this is the way that I describe it. It's being a scout out in the middle of the woods, afraid, surrounded by not just Red Eye and Old Man Bailey, but a thousand other terrors, right, that you don't even necessarily know what they are. You know what it is. You've been, raise your hand if you've been in the woods in the dark. Okay, I think we can all pretty much identify with this, right? And so, as scouts, when we're out there, if we saw the, the red glow or we saw the lantern, the new rule at that moment, now if you had a scout with you by chance, you just had to run faster than that guy, right? <laughs> but you, the, the new rule was shortest distance between two points is a straight line, right? And so you were, you were looking for a campfire to get to. And it didn't matter if it was your campfire. It didn't matter if it was somebody else's campfire. It didn't matter. It was just a campfire because you understood that there were three truths about that campfire. One... It's a fire, and so the darkness and everything that exists in the darkness is afraid of it, right? And especially our scout leaders told us, Red Eye and Old Man Bailey will never come near the fire. Um, two, you know that there's other scouts around that fire that can give you some backup once you get there. And then three, you know there's a scout leader there who can pretty much handle anything that's out in the dark because that's how we felt about our scout leaders, right? They're superheroes. And I also have it on high authority that many scouts who ran away from Old Man Bailey and Red Eye in the woods heard them laughing hysterically in the darkness as we ran away, right? Yeah. So yeah, so at any rate, people said, hey, what is anxiety to you? And I said, that's it. It's, it's being surrounded by all these things, all these what ifs, right? David quoted Max Licato a couple weeks ago, and he said, um, anxiety is a meteor shower of what ifs. And that's the terrible part about anxiety is that for me, it's like being a kid in the middle of the dark woods with known threats out there, things even beyond Red Eye and Old Man Bailey, but in my worst imagination, my mind starts playing tricks on me in the dark, right? 
a twig snaps, leaves rustle over here, and, it, and it's a terrible monster that I, I can't even describe. But the other terrible part about it is that everything begins to close in. You begin to focus all inward on yourself. You become, for lack of a better term, self-centered in that moment, right? You're only worrying about yourself and your survival. And you feel like you're completely alone. And you can't see anybody else around you. You're just lost in the dark. So, in prepping for this, um, I, I found out, I learned that there's actually a difference between anxiety and fear. Right? And so anxiety is the anticipation of a future unknown threat, right? Fear, by contrast, is the emotional response to a real or perceived imminent threat. So a lot of the times when we feel anxiety, it's because we are uh, in the dark forest of our minds, for those of, those of us who suffer from it, we are afraid of or anticipating an uncertainty, right? The unknown. I think we're all born with this fear of the unknown. And so we, we may have things that we're dealing with right now in our lives that we, we know what the threat is, but we don't really know what's going to happen. What are the consequences? What are the results going to be? And that's what we're afraid of. That's the unknown out there. It's interesting to me that when I was in the Marine Corps, they, one of the things that they really focus in on and train is for you to develop a significant comfort level in an environment of complete uncertainty. We had whole exercises, chaos facts, chaos field exercise, de dedicated to getting you in, in an, an environment of complete uncertainty and chaos so that you can still perform, right? Because war is inherently uncertain. But I think we can all agree that life itself is inherently uncertain. Yes? Raise your hand if you agree with that. Okay. So here's the kicker. We live in a world that is extremely fast-paced, right? A world that is oriented on results, producing, right? So I don't care where your head, your, your head might be over here in the dark woods, lost, alone, surrounded by a bunch of what-ifs, but your heart and the rest of your body better be at, the, at your kid's practice. Better be at that game. It better be at church on Sunday, smiling, making sure everybody knows that, hey, I'm good, our family's great, everything's wonderful, right? You go to work, you might want to take a mental health day, right? But you better be back on Tuesday and performing, performing, performing. And so we get caught up in this world where those of us who suffer from anxiety, our minds are locked away in the darkness, surrounded by terrors unimaginable, while the rest of us has to live in this world. And the best illustration I've ever heard of that was actually last week. I was at a wedding, and one of the groomsmen, his name is Tyler and he is an EMT here in Alvin. And let me tell you, if you ever have to get treated by this guy, you're in extremely good hands. He did two tours to Iraq as a medic. And uh, he said, oh, you're, you're doing a talk next week? I said, yeah. And he said, uh, what are you doing on? I said, anxiety. And he goes, oh, yeah, man, when people tell me they suffer from anxiety, I just tell them they're like a duck. I was like, okay, you got to explain that one. And he said, yeah, man, you ever seen a duck swim in a pond? I was like, well, yeah. And he said, you know how smooth they glide over the water? How graceful they are, man. He said, yeah, it's beautiful. He's like, but under the water, man, they're paddling just to make it happen, right? And I was like, man, that's genius because that's exactly what's going on. The world expects us to glide along and, and perform and produce when in all reality, a lot of us, our minds are under the water paddling just to keep moving, just to survive, right? And not only is that a good illustration, but 
that is exactly what the world demands of us. So one of the other problems here is that this is exactly where the enemy wants us to be. He wants to keep us divided. He wants our mind to be completely occupied with all of these things that the world can throw at it to worry about, while our heart and the rest of us is separated over here. Because, it's the old strategy, right? Divide and? There you go. And that's what he's trying to do, right? So, um, how do we respond to it? Well, I'm quoting my dad. He's always said, and all the challenges and obstacles that we face in life, the things we have to worry about, he said, ultimately, what it boils down to is this. You've got to determine which F word you're going to live by, faith or fear, right? So in Philippians 4.8, Paul is now bringing it all together, right? Anytime Paul in any of the letters says the word finally, he's about to drive a point home, right? And he's a man, as we know from the other sermons, that he is very well acquainted with anxiety, okay? He's been shipwrecked, beaten, stoned and left for dead, assassination attempts. He's been all over the place. And then you want to talk about traveling for his missionary journey. I just want to put this in perspective. So this is Paul's missionary journey, right? And you look at all the pathways that he took, round about, and each is color-coded for the first and the second and the third, right? And so he covered some ground, Right? And for me, I can look at that map and I go, oh, okay, man, yeah, he really traveled around a lot. But it didn't, I thought about it, I was like, it doesn't really give me the feel for how far this man traveled. Now, keep in mind the modes of travel of the day, right? Because everywhere he went, he was lighting fires in the hearts of people for Christ. He was starting new churches everywhere he went, right? And then he had to leave those places and live on faith instead of fear that they were going to continue growing in Christ in the way that he'd instructed them, right? And so to to put this in perspective in terms of travel, <laughs> so there's his pathway overlaid on the United States. So basically, he went from Charleston to North Dakota, back down to Charleston, to Amarillo, to North Dakota. I mean, he covered some ground when you really look at it for the kingdom. And so now he's sitting in prison awaiting his judgment from Emperor Nero, who has an extremely creative uh, reputation for dispatching Christians from this earth, right? Things aren't looking good. And so he's writing to the church in Philippi saying, hey, things aren't looking good, but I still have faith here. And I understand that you guys are under a lot of stress and anxiety because you're basically being hunted like animals, right? So here's what I want to tell you. Let's get down to brass tacks. In order to deal with the anxiety you're facing, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, I want you guys to focus in on these things. Why? Because these are in effect. When we, uh, earlier in Philippians, uh, Paul says that, that he's happy about the church in Philippi, that he hears about them, that they're standing firm in one spirit with one mind working side by side for the faith of the gospel. See, in order for the church, the body of Christ to all work as it's supposed to, we, everybody's got to be on the same page, being informed by the same things. And so he's saying to everyone, focus on these things because these are the things that are of Christ. You're literally dwelling on the character and nature of Christ himself. You're dwelling on the things that are of the kingdom, right? 
And so Christ says in Matthew 6, 33 through 34, after he says, hey, don't, don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Don't worry about where you're going to live. All of those things. And he says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Right? So he's saying, even Christ is saying, hey, focus in, think on these things. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. That first, those things will be will be given to you and taken care of. You can't worry about yesterday. Yesterday's gone. You can't worry about tomorrow. You can't be anxious for that. You can only, if you're going to suffer anything, it's today. It's right now in this moment, right? So a lot of people will say, well, have anybody ever told you, oh, you got a lot on your mind? Well, just stay busy and you won't think about it. Raise your hand if somebody's told you that. Does it work? No, it doesn't work. So it just pushes it to the peripheral and it's still there, right? Our anxious thoughts that keep us in the middle of the woods, in order for us to come out of them, we have to cast them out. We have to make room for, for the new to come in, right? It's like casting out a demon. The reality is, is a demon isn't just cast out. It's that truth has been brought in and there's no more room for the evil to exist, right? Truth has taken up residence. C.S. Lewis says it in the Screwtape Letters. He said that... Um, that the enemy's best work is done not by putting things into our head, but by keeping things out. And so that's exactly what he's trying to do by confusing us and making us anxious about all these potential what-ifs that the world can throw at us. We fill our mind with all of those things instead of the things that he's called us to focus on and fill our mind with. So just like you, you, got, a, you got a bucket there, right? You can fill that bucket full of water, but if there's a whole bunch of rocks in the bucket, there's still a whole bunch of space that's got to get cleared up, so you've got to get rid of the rocks, right? So, number one, we've got to bring truth in one day at a time. Now, you're going to look at me and you're going to say, that's great, James, so I'm just supposed to think about what's pure and lovely and right and true and noble and all these things, and then everything's going to get better. Well, no, not immediately. Along with that, a lot of the times when we are caught up in that, this, in, in this anxiety each day that we suffer, we are talking to ourselves, right? We're talking to ourselves about, well, oh my gosh, what if this and what if that and what if this? When we begin to dwell on these things that are of Christ, we begin to communicate and pray to him, and it opens up that dialogue, right? And it opens up a, opens up a channel into our mind that these things can begin to come in and, and, and start to take up residence. So... Now, you might say that's all well and good, but uh, tomorrow or the next day I might lose my job. Or I just lost my job. My wife just lost her job. Husband, sick. Kids need braces. Can't pay for them right now. What if our car breaks down? There's all those thousands of what ifs out there. And, and you say, okay, so what do we do? My anxiety's not going anywhere and there's more stuff mounting. So one of the things I wanted to do is kind of give you guys some techniques that I, just a couple that, that I used, right? And that was the first one, is, is every day we fill our minds with those things that are of the Spirit. The second thing is, is something I learned from one of my Marines, and that is this. On patrol, you never know where you're going to get hit from. Could be the canal, could be the compound, could be the tree line, could be all three. And you didn't know if it was an IED or a small arms ambush or both, right? And so what we would do is we would plan ahead 
on our patrol route and we'd say, okay, well, in this area, we're most likely going to get hit from here. And so if that happens, we're going to do this. And so we would make a plan ahead of time. Now, anybody knows no plan lasts five minutes into execution, right? So we get out on the ground and then things would change. And so constantly as we went through there, as we went into a new area, we would make a plan. If we get hit from here, we are going to do this. And we would register that plan in our mind. And then all we had to do when the time came was execute it. And that allowed us to focus in on what was important right in front of us, right? And so, um, for those of us who have a lot of these things out there, these what-ifs, these uh, things that are plaguing us, if you sit down with your spouse, with somebody you trust, you can sit down with me, don't care, sit down and you write out all those what-ifs, all those things that you're worried about, all those red eyes and old man Baileys, all the twigs snapping in the forest around you, and you come up with a solution. Here's what I'm going to do, right? Now, is it going to be perfect? No, you're not clairvoyant, right? But what it's going to do is it's going to give you some certainty in that environment of uncertainty and give you a little bit of control in that scenario. And it allows you to then take that control and turn it over to God. Because you write all those things down. You say, here's what I'm going to do. And you set it aside. Okay, God's got it now. And now I can focus on the things at hand. So number two is we take action and we make room for the truth to come in. Right? And finally, in order for us to begin to fill our minds with these things and to make room for this truth to come in and take up residence and begin to change and, and erase that anxiety that we're feeling, then we need to walk on this earth the way that Christ walked, and that is this. To live in this moment as he instructed us to, but to maintain an eternal perspective. Everything that we experience, as one of my favorite authors says, just needs a little perspective on it, right? So Christ, fully man, lived in this moment with us, but fully God, he existed in eternity. Everything he did or said involved eternal joys, eternal consequences, and was part of an eternal plan, right? Everything we do as Christians is part of an eternal plan. The things that we are stressing about right now, that we are anxious about right now, if we really look at those things and we go, okay, I'm so stressed about this, I'm so worried, I'm so anxious, how will I feel about this moment five years from now? Will it even be a blip? How will I feel about this moment 10,000 years from now when I'm with Christ? And we don't even have to go that far. That's an extreme example, right? But let's say if you've ever talked to anybody who's in their late 80s or early 90s, if you talk to them about their life, say, hey, tell me about your life. They will take all of the terrible tragedies that they dealt with in life. And you know what they'll say? They'll sum it up in something like this. There were some really hard times. So all of that worry and everything else that we're enduring right now that we're trying to go through ultimately by the end of our life becomes there were some really hard times. And so we have to ask ourselves right now in the grand scheme of things, how serious is this from an eternal perspective? Is it even going to be a blip? So we bring the truth in, taking it one day at a time. We take action and make room for the truth. And then number three, we live in this moment while maintaining an eternal perspective. And finally, we cannot, cannot do it on our own. 
For those of us who suffer from anxiety, the one thing that I can tell you is this. If you are holding on to something inside that you don't want to let go of, it is never going to go away until you do. That one thing that maybe your husband or wife knows about all the things you're anxious about, but there may be one thing you're holding back, or your friends, you're holding back from your friends. Until you let that go, it is not going to heal. We cannot come through this on our own. So this message today isn't just for people who are suffering from anxiety. It's for people who know people who are suffering from anxiety. Um, 11 years ago, I deployed. I did one combat deployment. Not a big deal compared to guys who've done, and girls who've done ton, you know. So I didn't think it really affected me at all, you know, and, and claimed for years that it didn't. I was like, no, it's fine. Didn't didn't affect me. So while I was there, I did gain something that I thought was a skill. It was called hypervigilance, the ability to basically be awake even when you're asleep, right? To sleep in a condition yellow or orange, because you never knew when the threat would pop up even when you were asleep, whether you're out on the ground outside the wire or inside the wire. And so when I got home and I started up a business and then, or got an, an old business restarted, and then we started a new business, all of the stressors of owning the business ownership deal, getting it off the ground, all that began to play in, right, over time. And the more and more the stress built and the anxiety built, the less and less I was able to sleep because I kept fostering this hypervigilance. And my sleep quality began to tank and tank and tank and tank. And the anxiety began to rise and rise and rise. And so finally, um, Jordan and I got married in 2017, and I was already on this downward path. And so for a lot of you, I knew you during that time. You saw me. I was up here talking. I, I was shaking your hands at church. I was going to functions. I was doing all this stuff. I was going to work and being the business owner and doing all that and trying to be a husband and trying to be a son. And, but in all reality, the whole time that was going on, my brain was completely lost in the dark. I was terrified, alone, and afraid. But I was that duck swimming on that pond like crazy until I finally slammed into the wall. December of last year, leading up to December of last year, there came a period of time where finally I couldn't sleep at all. I was taking every natural, everything you could possibly think of and mixing them together. It wasn't working. I, I'd even turn to alcohol if that's what it took to put me to sleep. And as you know, that doesn't give you good sleep. I slept maybe an hour for two to three weeks every night. On a Friday night, I collapsed. I, was, I weigh about 185, 189 pounds right now. I weighed 147 pounds. Um, I passed out. I was over at my folks' house. Jordan, my wife, was over there. And uh, they took me into the hospital. And I was completely depleted of potassium and magnesium. The doctor said I should be dead. They put me in the hospital for two days, hooked me up to everything, pumped me full. At the end of the two days, they said, uh, we want to commit you into the, psychological, the psych ward, psychiatric ward. It's got to be your choice. And, um, and I could tell by the looks on my family's faces that that was a good decision. And so I said, yep, I'm in. I was also in a full state of psychosis at this point. Um, my brain was everywhere. So all of that anxiety, everything, that's what it finally resulted in. It had put me in the psych ward. And so at the end of that week, I thought... I was good. I'm good. Time to get out. I'm healed. I'm ready. And you know, there was somebody there who was much smarter than me who said, are you sure it's time to leave? And I was like, yeah, I'm good. good. I'm going to go enjoy Christmas with my family. I'm out. Here was the reality. 
I got out of there and I was still completely lost in the dark. Completely. But the difference with me was most of the time, people who have anxiety, if we can just see that campfire and run to it, we can make it and we can get to people who can help us. But for me, I had so much pride still, right? I don't have PTSD. I don't have any of that stuff. I had so much pride built up that I was still lost in the dark out here. And all around me, there were fires. Fires in the hearts of my family, my wife, David Garan, people here at Redeemer in this very congregation, fires in the hearts of people that I met while in the hospital, fires in the hearts of the people from our growth group. I could look in every direction and see campfires burning with the fire of Christ surrounding me. And guess what? I felt so unworthy to run to any of those fires. I felt like I'd failed my wife, my my family. I felt like I'd failed David and the members of this church. I felt like I'd failed everyone. And most importantly, I felt like I'd failed God because he wanted me to get up here and preach his word. And and I, I couldn't do it because I was just falling to nothing. And so I said, God, I'm not worth it. I'm not running to the fire. Just cast me into the outer darkness and be done with me. That's how I felt. That's where the anxiety had taken my mind, right? All I could do out in the darkness was cry out and hit the ground. That's all I had. And I just wanted the darkness to come and, and overtake me. Old man, Bailey, red eye, didn't matter. And the people around those fires, all of those fires, they heard me hit the ground. They heard me cry out. And just as Christians are supposed to do, they ran out into the darkness and they found me and they drug me back to that fire where there was peace and comfort and joy. The most important thing from that whole experience was that when they ran out into the darkness to find me and drag me in, they found somebody else too. And that person is now a member of this congregation with their family. So I would do it all over again because it was worth it for them to find peace. Well, we have to ask ourselves, is just as Christ came down and dwelled among men and lit that fire in the hearts of men and women all over the world that has spread for the last 2,000 years until this day right now, for those of us who are suffering from anxiety in the darkness, your answer may be the person sitting next to you who has the light of Christ burning in them. And the question is, are we filling our minds with the things of the Spirit enough that it weighs heavy on our mind and lands in our hearts and ignites that fire that people who are suffering out there can recognize in us a place that they can run to for peace and comfort and joy and healing. Because when we learn to light that fire in ourselves, we are following Jesus. And when that fire burns bright enough and those people we know at work or home or anywhere else can see that fire and know that they can run to us to find Christ, well, then we are leading other people to Jesus. And once we do that, then we are changing the world, right? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day and thank you for these people. Lord, heal those that are suffering from this affliction of the darkness, Lord, and we know The darkness cannot overcome the light that you bring. Peace to you and grace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I'd like to actually, thank you, James. I'd like to actually also just pray for James uh, as a community. I've missed him being here.
I'm so glad he's back. And, uh, and I just want to pray for your continued healing. So, All right, Lord Jesus, we thank you for your name. We thank you for all the healing that's happened in his life for the last year. Lord, I thank you for the fires here in this church. I thank you for your holy fire that draws us back. And I just pray for, uh, Lord, his continued work on this, his continued healing from the anxieties and the hypervigilance. Lord, we pray for your grace and love to continue to be at work through this church, Lord. We just thank you and are here to see lives redeemed in Jesus' name. And I thank you that James shared that story here today.